Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let us speak now of the L.A. Clippers with Sabrina Merchant. And, and Sabrina, before we like really get into it here, what do you think of L.A. Clippers like being the official name of this? You team? know, I think it's nice to have some distinction from the Los Angeles Lakers, um, although it doesn't appear to have really taken traction. Like a lot of outlets still call them the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, and their most popular jerseys still say Los Angeles on them. So if it was a rebranding effort, I'm not sure how successful it was. Uh, but you know, you got to try things. Yeah, well, those those outlets do not have one Danny LaRue working for them because Danny LaRue would never let them get away with calling them the Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe the thought is it's just like the Lakers are Los Angeles. You know, that's the mm-hmm. the full name. It's the, you know, the, the people who call it Los Angeles are like old and stuffy. And then the Clippers are like new and edgy and they call, call it L.A. Uh, unfortunately, no, actually, it seems like uh, all demographics prefer the Lakers. But uh the weird thing to me is that it's not L.A. with, like, dots after the L and the A, um, which yeah. just visually makes more sense to me. Um, but I worry we've exhausted this topic already. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the New York Times uh, copy editing is not uh, forcing them to put periods in there like they do with uh, with NBA. Um, okay, yes, uh, you're... You make a good point that we perhaps ex- exhausted the topic as, and perhaps maybe Danny and I have exhausted the topic like the 97 times we've discussed this <laughs> previously on the show. So let's talk about these guys here. And I mean, I think probably the place I want to start is just talking about Kawhi Leonard and his health situation. Um, you know, so we've hit on it a little bit here, but just so, so we have it, you know, what's the latest as far as like whether he might like actually come back or not this year? Yeah, so in in true LA Clippers and Kawhi Leonard fashion, there has been as little detail given as possible with regards to Kawhi's injury. We know that he had knee surgery to repair a torn ACL, partially torn ACL. Even that is unclear. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure that they ever specifically said it was partially torn. But the, the most interesting thing about it is that Kawhi spoke at Media Day saying that he signed the long-term deal to give him the option of playing this season because had he taken a one-and-one, he would have been too concerned about his upcoming free agency to test that this season. So at least there's a possibility of him playing in the 2021-22 season, but I'm not sure that it's a likelihood by any means. Yeah, it's interesting that he said that he thought the one plus one followed by the five-year was better for him. I actually think that what he did here with getting the three plus one is the best because then he can throw that four year extension on basically after two years. So even if he misses most or all of this year, he comes back, he has one good year. And now all of a sudden you can put another four years on the end of that. And, you know, so you, you can almost make this into a seven year contract if you want to, for a guy now in his early thirties, you know, get, get that money locked in. And when, you know, even as good as Kawhi is, he's unlikely to be worth it, you know, at 37, 38 years old. Um, but, you know, that gives you some hope, right, that he's going to come back, which uh, they haven't totally ruled him out. And I'm not sure whether that is reason to be hopeful or it's just like Clippers obfuscation. But I think Kawhi at least not saying like, oh, you know, I don't know. We'll take it a day at a time. I don't think I can make it. Like He actually was like, no, that's his goal is to come back this year. Let's I mean, maybe that's BS, but at least it's more hopeful than I expected to hear from them going into media. Yeah, absolutely. And for it to come from Kawhi himself was very surprising. Um, for him to say like he wants to play and just give that level of transparency was more than I expected. But yeah, I I just don't think the Clippers can count on him being Kawhi Leonard 
this season, even if he does end up playing at the end of the year. Yeah, so for me, but you know, the partially torn ACL, uh, Law Murray had that great article on how, you know, if the part of the ACL that remains is still functional, you can come back more quickly. You know, that seems like the Spencer Dinwiddie type of timeline, probably what happened to Jay Crowder as well back in 2015. And, you know, it seemed like based on some of the reporting that, no, it was fully torn. He, had, he just had to have the full reconstruction. You know, he, he's not expected to play. Uh, you know, at least that was the earliest stuff that we heard. And then I think uh, both Ramona and then obviously what they said themselves, it's like, oh, no, actually, there's like a, a slight chance uh, that we might hear from him this year. And if he did have, you know, some function mania, maybe they just weren't even able to determine that. It's just we'll see uh, how well he recovers um you know because mm-hmm. nothing's guaranteed there but I, I think if he i guess it depends on when he comes back too i mean if like if we're talking about him coming back in january or february then it's obvious that he had you know this partial reconstruction that would enable that if he had the full reconstruction i mean there's no way he could possibly come back I mean, that happened in june right right june uh 14th or 15th yeah so there's no way they would have him do you agree with me there's no way they would have him come back if it's like after the beginning of april Unless the Clippers had some just miraculous season that put them in one of the top two seeds in the West, and it it seemed like their championship window was was here. Um, I don't know. It they're just at a point where I don't know how many wasted years they can handle. No, that's that's a good point. Well, and so maybe yeah, you make a good point there. Where if it's like okay, we don't need Kawhi to come back and beat Kawhi. Like if we if they feel like hey, we're so good. You know, we we can build on what we did when he was out last year. And, like, all we need is him to just kind of be 75, 80% of what he was. And we don't mm-hmm. need him to be, like, our isolation score at the end of games. Like, we just need a guy who can play, do some 3 and D and maybe do a little bit of scoring and, like, you know, just be a cog in the machine. Then maybe it would make sense uh, to bring him back if they feel like they could be a championship contender with just that Kawhi. Right. And that um, doesn't seem like the most likely outcome, but it's there. Yeah, but I think, for, yeah. yeah, so for me, I think we'll know, like, if his return is not kind of, like, impending by January or February, I think it's pretty likely that you can kind of write it off at that point. Like, if we're not hearing reports of him, like, working out and really ramping us up his activity by January or February, I think I think we'll have a pretty good signal at that point. Because despite that, I mean, I don't I don't know, we'll, we'll get into our predictions. I don't know if I see them being, you know, a top two seed in the West necessarily, uh, but so uh, let's talk about what they did in terms of uh, turning over the roster here. Yeah, so they uh, sent out Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Oturu for Eric Bledsoe. Um, the latter two really did not project to have major roles on the Clippers this year anyway. Um, and then they drafted Keon Johnson, Brandon Boston, and Jason Preston. Uh, Jason Preston had a foot injury during their summer workouts and – prognosis does not appear to be great um he is on a scooter right now and Lawrence frank said something to the effect of them having a additional roster spot to work with depending on how preston's recovery goes so yeah that's something to consider uh and then they have this sort of uh, demarcus cousins replacement situation going on with uh harry giles and isaiah hartenstein fighting for that third center spot um the 15th roster spot in training camp so not not a ton has changed other than um Eric Bledsoe, and then they signed Justice Winslow as well. But the majority of the rotation, you know, save Kawhi missing the bulk of the season, is back from this conference finals team a year ago. What did you think of that Bledsoe trade? You know, I thought it was a good consolidation move, you know, just to get rid of a lot of pieces to bring one guy back in. Um, I consistently think that Patrick Beverly is a little bit underrated offensively, and I wonder how Bledsoe is going to affect the spacing in that starting lineup. Um, because it does appear that he will be starting in Beverly's place. Uh, Ty Lu said yesterday that his preferred starting lineup for the moment is Bledsoe, Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Zubach. Um, so the the shooting is is definitely a downgrade, but just the the durability of Bledsoe I think was really important to them because they were just never certain of when Patrick Beverly was going to be available to play. And having a guy who is capable of giving you like seventy five plus games during the regular season is really important considering how kind of creaky some of this roster is. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think Patrick Beverly in the playoffs, I think he's better defensively than Eric Bledsoe. You know, I thought he really made a huge difference in that Phoenix series guarding Devin Booker. I think he, he kind of 
changed that series a little bit after Booker had that ridiculous game one. Uh, and he, I think he's a more reliable shooter than Bledsoe. Although, yeah, I think Beverly's shooting, I think, has taken a little bit of a step back just in terms of like the versatility of his jumper. And he was kind of getting left open at times in the mm-hmm. playoffs. But he'll he'll take them and make them you know better than Bledsoe certainly. Like he'll at least hit the ones that he takes, whereas Bledsoe is not even necessarily not doing that. Uh, yeah, d- doing that. But I feel you on on the regular season. And this is kind of I mean, again, if if we knew. I would say this, you know, if they, if Kawhi were healthy and we knew that going in, I would have been a lot more down on this trade than I am, you know, but it really seems like the regular season is kind of more where it's going to be at for this group and that they just needed bodies and, and Bledsoe does give them more of that. He gives them more ability to push the pace, which Ty Lue is always talking about doing this is not really much of a transition team outside of him. Um, you know, if you told me that Eric Bledsoe could give them what Patrick Beverly did defensively. I would like it a lot more, and Bledsoe, you know, used to be considered that type of player, but I think it's it's been some time since he's been that guy. Yeah, so that was sort of where I had some confusion because I have a hard time taking a lot of his New Orleans performance seriously just because of how disinterested he was from the jump to be with the Pelicans. Yeah. And from what I remember on the Bucks, he was pretty decent defensively, at least during the regular season, um, but... I have to be honest, like it's it's been a while since he was in situations that mattered, right? Um, but I, I think that defensively, you know, Patrick Beverly's reputation is a little bit exaggerated, uh, particularly during the regular season when yeah. foul trouble is is often an issue with one Patrick <laughs> yes. Beverly. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah, where you're you're uh, you're in the bonus with seven minutes to go in the second <laughs> quarter, like basically every time. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think the I think the defensive uh, you know comparison between the two probably works in Bledsoe's favor more than that. No. Yeah. When you Which, consider a availability during the regular season, I, I think I agree with you. Exactly. Um, so how else do do you see uh, the newcomers fitting in? I mean, it seems like they're they're planning on Justice Winslow being in the rotation. Yeah. So Justice Winslow, um, you know, sort of said that he was just game to play whatever role the Clippers asked of him. Like, you know, he started at the five in his rookie year in the playoffs when, what was it, Hassan Whiteside got hurt, and he has played backup point guard for the Heat on occasion. So legitimately feels comfortable in whatever possible role, you know, the Clippers have envisioned for him. Um, I, I do think he's probably going to be more of a uh, just grab-and-go kind of guy on the bench. Uh, yeah. Another person who can inject a little bit of pace into what the Clippers are trying to do. Um, the, the Clippers don't have a ton of ball handlers necessarily. Like, I would say they're three primary ball handlers are all in the starting lineup with Bledsoe, Reggie, and PG. Um, how much, you know, like leeway that gives Luke Kennard in the second unit or Terrence Mann to play around in the second unit, I'm, I'm unclear. Ty does a pretty good job of staggering his creators. So even though like, you know, those three guys, Bledsoe, Reggie, and PG are all starting, I imagine that they're going to be, one of them is going to be on the court at all times anyway. Um, but Maybe we could see Justice Winslow doing a little bit of that, you know, just transition ball handling in the second unit, um, and then just being able to switch a lot because that's something the Clippers definitely like to do defensively. Yeah, I was surprised that Winslow got above the minimum. I mean, the the hilarity of him getting more than Nick Batum. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe, so maybe Nick. Yeah, maybe maybe Nick Batum's going to get paid, uh, or just be, he's made so much money in his career he didn't care. But uh, you know, I think uh, I. If I were Nick Batum, my eyebrows would raise a little bit at that. Like, hey, you couldn't have just, uh, you know, get, given that to me uh, instead. Um, but, it, I mean, Justice Winslow, the idea of him has always kind of been superior to what he's been. I mean, he's got a career 48% true shooting. And the league, the overall league true shooting has only been going up uh, in that period. And, you know, Memphis really could have used his skill set last year. And nonetheless, he fell out of the rotation now. Has there been any talk of like, oh man, I just wasn't healthy last year. Like I'm feeling so much better now, like that kind of stuff. Not really. Um, he's. <laughs> I, uh, I would. I would, lo- would want to be hearing that because it's one of those things where it's like you kind of you hope he was still injured, given how he was playing. That that's the the explanation for it. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, he just said that like the the COVID stuff made it difficult to find a rhythm with mm-hmm. Memphis last year. Um, and then he didn't have a healthy off season. Uh, he, he hasn't really said that like he wasn't healthy, you know, while he was playing, but, um, maybe part of that is just sort of accepting responsibility for the fact that he didn't play as well as he needed to in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it was just him not able to 
ever really find a rhythm with just like the stop and go nature of both his injuries and then like the the pandemic itself with the Grizzlies. Um, but I mean, like he, he's got the same agent as like Paul George and Reggie Jackson and Kennard, right? They're all, they all got to work out together during the off season. Uh, it just seemed like a natural fit for him to come to the Clippers. And yeah, the, the contract doesn't make a ton of sense, especially when you consider that the second year is guaranteed, I believe, for justice, uh, which to me, that was more surprising than the number itself. Yeah, that that I, is pretty shocking, especially for a team like this that has you know severe tax concerns. Exactly. Uh, I just think that the Clippers have a lot of faith in their ability to you know sort of revive these uh, disgruntled veterans. And even though Justice is only twenty five years old, he just finished his sixth year in the league. Um, and they have a ton of faith in their player development and their spacing to just make people's jump shots look better. Uh, yeah. So the type of player that Justice is like. They just feel very comfortable in that archetype. And even though it's been gruesome to watch him offensively, uh, I just think that that's where Ty Lue and the Clippers feel most confident that they can help him improve, right? The defensive tools being there is more interesting to them than having to like fix him defensively, right? They feel confident that they can fix him on the offensive end, which is where he needs a lot of. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, no, it seems that way. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it just... You made sense at the minimum. It just kind of surprised me, particularly given the crazy amount of taxes they're paying. But hey, you know, if Steve, if Steve Ballmer truly doesn't care, which 
it pretty much seems is the case. Now, you know, it, it is kind of funny to have made the Beverly Rondo trade and then plowed the savings of that into into Justice Winslow. Um, but it, all right, enough on that. Uh, that stuff. If Steve Ballmer doesn't care, Steve Ballmer doesn't care. Um, how about the rookies? What, what do you what did you see from them in the summer? Do you think any of them could figure uh, into major rotation minutes or even any rotation minutes? Yeah, so I thought Preston was the most likely to fit into the rotation just because uh, he he just has a good feel for like pick and roll game, and that seemed like a nice compliment to what yeah. Tyloo likes. They to don't do. really have that guy. They don't have that like pick and roll operator. No, I mean the, their pick and roll operators are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like it's yeah. not any of their lead guards, so to speak. So that was that was my impression, especially after summer league when I thought he looked a lot better as you know that week went on in Las Vegas. But obviously there has been a you know <laughs> stick in that plan. Uh, Keon Johnson is just super raw, like. Um, he obviously has the physical tools that make him really exciting, you know, looking forward, but he's so young. Um, he doesn't exactly look comfortable with the ball in his hands. He, you know, his shooting leaves something to be desired. He's really just a run the floor kind of guy at this point. Um, I, I can't imagine how that's going to factor into a rotation role this year for the Clippers. Like there's a lot of development that needs to take place with him before he can become a productive player. Um, Brandon Boston looks a little bit more comfortable than Keon. Like he definitely has a lot of confidence in his jumper and making plays for himself. Definitely not for others. Uh, that's just not really his game yet. Um, <laughs> but you know that it's just a more crowded position for him because he's more of a small forward. So even though he was like the 51st pick, the fact that the Clippers gave him, you know, a spot on the roster instead of making him a two-way makes me think that they have some hope for him being able to play, you know, spot minutes or if there's a PG, like, load management game to just get extra minutes on a night like that. Uh, so it's, it's strange to say that I think the guy that they drafted the lowest has the best chance of cracking the rotation at this point, but that's sort of where I stand. Yeah, it's interesting. Johnson, you know, they... they like his effort and you know he's a great two-foot leaper and the I don't think he'll be jacking up the long twos that he was taking off the dribble in summer league that led to just atrocious efficiency mm-hmm. um but then Boston you know just is not where he needs to be defensively at, at right. all he's thin he got roasted by you know like Memphis's guys off the dribble in summer league and you know maybe he'll be better um you know I I think Maybe they'll throw Johnson in if they just need kind of like an energy boost defensively, but they already have Terrence Mann and Justice Winslow to do that as well. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think those guys will kind of be competing with one another a little bit as well. And, you know, if there are injuries, then maybe they, they could figure it. But I, my expectation is that they'll spend a, a fair amount of time with the uh, Agua Caliente group. Um, yeah. let's, let's talk about the returnees now. And, who do you see as the most likely players that can make some major improvements this year? Yeah, I think we have to start with Terrence Mann, uh, who stepped into the starting lineup in that Utah series when Kawhi Leonard got hurt and proceeded to have that 39-point effort in Game 6 that helped the Clippers advance to the conference finals. Uh, he he only played about 20 minutes per game during the regular season last year. And honestly, during the playoffs, it didn't look like he was conditioned to play more than that. So... Just from a usage perspective, I would imagine that he gets onto the court more than he did a year ago. And then just as a as a scorer and ball handler, like he has he really just that would be his next leap to take forward in terms of being able to create for himself and others and being more confident in that jumper because he's left open all the time in the corners and the shot looks decent, right? He shot at about forty one percent clip last season. So I think, you know, there's a lot of room for him to take to improve on the offensive end, I'm, I'm really more interested to see where he gets better defensively because he got lost a little bit in their scheme um, when they weren't switching. And he can be a little uh, – he lets his man get by a little too easily on defense, and which shouldn't be happening given his physical tools. So I would expect man to come in with just a better sense of himself and more opportunity this upcoming season. Like there were parts of the regular season where he wasn't even in the rotation last year, which – is, is never going to happen with this particular Clipper team. So yeah. that that's the number one guy I would say is they, they need the leap from Terrence Mann. Yeah. Uh, so tightening up defensively, I mean, you know, he's a great driver and finisher and offensive rebounder and, you know, still improving his shooting enough. And yeah, obviously he hit a ton in that Utah series, 
but then by the end of the Phoenix series, they like weren't guarding him again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, just to get good enough to where now guys have to close out him and he can blow by him and uh, finish at the rim with that spectacular athleticism, you know. But I think that he's been a big success story. Just even to get his shooting to where it is uh, at this point it is pretty impressive for them. And you know, you mentioned with Winslow that uh, they. Terrence Mann is a big reason why they are confident in their ability to teach guys how to shoot. Um, how about Luke Kennard? You know, he's starting this uh, $12 million a year contract and, you know, didn't really contribute much, was out of the rotation for much of last season, kind of got put in maybe due to necessity at times, but it didn't seem like Ty Lue had much confidence in him defensively. And, you know, he had some really rough defensive games in the playoffs, uh, but it, do you expect him to play a larger role this year? I mean, it would have to be larger just because of yeah. the the personnel on this roster, you know, the the thinning of the backcourt depth that occurred during this offseason. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they came in with such high expectations for Kennard. Like Ty Lue said before the third game of the season, you know, when Kawhi had to miss it because he got hit in the face, you know, in that Denver game, um, he said, yeah, Luke's going to be the guy that I turn to when Paul or Kawhi has to miss a game, you know, for rest or whatever. And Within like three weeks, that was no longer the case. <laughs> um, so the the staff, you know, they they want big things out of Luke. Like they they made an investment in him, obviously, and they they hope for him to turn into something better. I do think that just having the ball in his hands a little bit more often will help him. He he just takes a little bit longer to get comfortable on the court than you know some of the other guys on the Clippers. Like the the offense moves a little bit faster than Luke Kennard does, and that was a disconnect that existed during the regular season. Um, I, I think the Clippers just have to give him more opportunity to run that second unit just to see what he's capable of because clearly he needs more minutes to get into some sort of rhythm and that just wasn't available to him last year because Lou Williams was there or Rondo or Beverly or, you know, just a multitude of ball handlers who were able to take that load and that's just not an option this year, right? Like I don't think you want Terrence Mann running an offense, right? He's more of a guy who attacks a mismatch and or, you know, drives off of a closeout on the second side. Like that's you don't want him being the alpha in a, a bench offense and Eric Bledsoe even like I'm not sure that they want him being you know lead point guard whatever that means to them so they they need more from Luke Kennard they need him to be able to command that second unit and look for his shot which is something that he just has not been aggressive enough doing as a clipper uh, it's it's so frustrating because he has probably the prettiest jumper on the clippers other than Paul George yeah. and he's just reluctant to take it like there's so many instances where he'll you know, get the ball and a catch and shoot and just sort of dribble out of it or, you know, dribble himself into a pull up and then pass out and reset the offense. And that that just cannot happen because they need him to be more decisive. You know, it's not even really so much a, a skill development thing for Kennard as it is a mentality thing for him. He just isn't playing the way that Ty Lue wants him to play. Um, and it really is all offensively because let's face it, it's not going to get that much better for him defensively. Uh, like, he, no. He can follow a scheme, right? Like, and he had some nice moments against Jalen Brunson, actually, at the end of that Dallas series. Uh, it wasn't a terrible matchup for him. So there are ways to use him, you know, and there are enough perimeter defenders on the Clippers that you can kind of hide him in certain situations. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just got to come on offense. Like, he has to be more decisive. He has to be more aggressive because he can be like a 12 to 13 point scorer. Um, without that much of a change in his game, he just hasn't been that yet. Yeah, it's interesting. Like there kind of are two canards. There's the guy that everyone wants to take more threes. He's up forty five percent from three. He's really ramping up there. And then there's the guy who he seems a little bit more comfortable being of the guy who's going to get inside the arc, who's going to run pick and roll. And really, you know, as you alluded to, he's probably the third best off the dribble attacker. Uh, with this group right now, you know, the Batum will get some reps there and Marcus Morris will get into the post and stuff, but it, you, know, you can only run so many of those plays. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, do, it does seem that way. Um, it's also interesting when you, you talk about his defensive limitations, because to me, I think he actually makes a little bit more sense defensively with the starters, with Zubats back there when they're playing a conventional style mm-hmm. who can protect him. Like if there's any, if they're doing any sort of switching, I mean, we saw that really break down. Uh, you know, they're not going to switch with Kennard. Maybe they would switch double with them at times if the guy is really good. But, you know, they, they don't want to be in that situation where, you know, he's in the at the point of attack up top guarding one of the, the better players uh, on the other team. Like, that's it led to disaster a lot of times. So I would like him playing more defensively with the rim protection of Zubats out there. 
you know, I assume either Giles or Hartenstein is going to play. Now, if Serge Ibaka comes back, which we'll talk about, then maybe, and Serge Ibaka is on the second unit, then I think Canard uh, works fine defensively uh, on the second unit uh, as well. But, you know, I maybe I would consider starting Canard and then, you know, just taking him out early um, mm-hmm. rather than starting Bledsoe. But it seems like they kind of they kind of want to rehab Bledsoe and, like, have him be in that starting role just from, a mental standpoint, since as you noted, he was kind of checked out uh, last year in New Orleans. But I, I think that'll be interesting. I, I don't know if it's fait accompli that Eric Bledsoe is going to start uh, over Kennard uh, all year, but uh, or that it should be fait accompli, maybe more accurately. Right, and I kind of like Bledsoe's fit with Ibaka a little bit more because if he, you know, if his strength offensively is downhill attacking, would wouldn't you rather have the space created by a, a shooting center than? Hmm having Zubac just camped in the lane. And even with pick and rolls, like you don't need to guard Bledsoe like out at the three-point line. So it just cramps the lane too if he's going to run pick and rolls with Zubac. So I, I like that fit with Bledsoe and Ibaka more. And like you said, Kennard and Zubac makes a little bit more sense too. Um, maybe they'll just like stagger it so that Kennard comes in when like Zu comes in for her his second shift and just work it out that way. Because like you said, I think having Bledsoe in the starting lineup is important just from a you know, engagement perspective for him. Yeah. And I guess also playing Bledsoe and man together is, would be pretty difficult. Uh, that, that would be another problem. I mean, that's the other thing. Maybe, maybe man should be the, the, you know, I don't know if you want to call him the two, I guess you would. Uh, but you know, he might be better than Bledsoe and be better than Kennard, uh, yeah, as well. I, I thought that was the most interesting potential starting lineup, you know, just Reggie PG and man as the perimeter players. Um, because obviously they're not going to start small during the regular season. There's just, there's no way of doing that. Um, but I think they like the the burst of energy that man gives off the bench. Yeah. Anyone else who might get better? I think like Marcus Morris might be in that category for me just because he was really had such a slow start and then was injured in the playoffs as well. If he could be healthier this year, uh, you know, maybe kind of uh, I don't know if he's going to reach quite these heights, but it, because he's going to be asked to score more with Kawhi out, you know, maybe he can kind of get back to being a little more what he was in New York uh, the year uh, before he got uh, in 1920, before he got traded to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm just never certain about what Marcus Morris is going to be health wise. Um, yeah. like even in the playoffs, it sort of got away from him his knees again. Um, I'm interested to see if Zubac can make any offensive improvements. Uh, he he was a better finisher last year than he has been in the past, but still not like as strong catching the ball as you would want from your pick and roll center. Um, so that's something I, I think he could improve upon coming into the season. Um, and then you you just have to hope that justice would get better, but he's not a returnee, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you know Zubats has talked about how he's going to take some threes. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll take the under on whatever the over under is for uh, for number of threes uh, taken by uh, Avicii Zubats this year. But you know, I, I think Zubats uh, can just continue to refine his defensive game a little bit. I think he's a very underrated defender. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it, you know I wasn't in favor of them starting him in that Phoenix series. Uh, and, you know, it was it, it was difficult for him in the Jazz series too because the Jazz are just like such a great spread pick and roll team. Right. But I thought Zubats, it wasn't a defensive reason why I didn't think Zubats should start in that Phoenix series. Like I thought he they was They just couldn't really, score with him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was really good uh, dealing with like Chris, you know, if you compare like what Nikola Jokic was doing defensively to Zubats, you, know, you might look at those two guys and say, oh, they have kind of similar physical tools. Uh, but you know, Zubats was much better at the cat and mouse game. He was challenging shots in the mid range. He could do a little bit of late switching if they needed to. Like they played some very quality defensive games with him at center in that Phoenix series, and what you would have thought would be a pretty tough matchup for him. So I, you know, I think he can emerge into being you know a top ten defensive center in the NBA this year potentially. Yeah, I mean, he was the the only Clipper to make those top one hundred rankings, other than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, so there there's some love for Vita Zubac around the league, Th- I guess. That's insane, by the way. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, like Batum and Morris, uh, one of those two guys should be in there. But uh, Ben Ben Taylor was had Batum as like at a sub All Star level last year, which I thought was kind of crazy when he said that mm-hmm. during the regular season, and then I saw his what he was doing defensively in the playoffs. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> ben, yeah. ben might actually be right about that. But, you know, obviously he's not going to play that much. And I guess maybe that's what we can transition to here a little bit is just like the lineups that this team is going to play during the regular season uh, is is going to just matter so much and like how seriously they take it and uh, how much these veterans – like and Batum to me is very much an interesting pivot point in that because if he plays a lot of minutes, you know, if he's playing 30 minutes a game, 
And, you know, if they wanted to, like, I honestly think their best starting lineup, if they need to play Zubats, would just be putting Batuman and have him kind of be the two, you know, and just have like a lot of size uh, and defense out there. Um, but they kind of feel like, you know, I'm sure they're not going to start him because they feel like he's going to just needs to come off the bench. And they just don't want to play him that many minutes and blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess basically like how seriously they're going to take the regular season because I mean, this group, even without Kawhi, when they really got to it in the playoffs with that small lineup, like they were devastating. Like they were a really, really good team. And if you could just find a way to put the level that they were playing at in the playoffs without Kawhi, if you could translate that to an entire regular season, you know, I think it wouldn't be totally crazy for them to be in the top half of the conference this year. But the question is just like, how how much can they really get to those groups and how much are they going to be kind of fucking around with Bledsoe and Kennard and, you know, bringing the young guys in and Justice Winslow and like Giles and Hardenstein playing like, you know, and playing a center all the time. So what's your feeling on that? Like how how much are they really going to try to get to those best groups this year? Yeah, that's what's kind of frustrating just on the whole about this Clipper season is that, you know, Ty Lu clearly saves a lot of his cards for the playoffs and, you know, just gets a lot more interesting yeah. as a coach yeah, or, during the playoffs. Or, uh, you know, the second half of the playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. After those first two games. Yeah. But, you know, the things that they did during the playoffs, like you said, I just don't see them doing them in the regular season on a regular basis because those small lineups were so fun, right? And they were just like a offensive juggernaut against the Utah Jazz and even against Phoenix. I thought the small lineups had a lot of success, but are they just going to completely minimize the role of Zubac and Ibaka during the regular season? Like, no, they're not going to do that. And they can't physically tax Marcus Morris and Batum like that over the course of 82 games. So, you know, the, the Clippers are just substantially more compelling during the postseason, but like they have to go through this slog of regular season where... <laughs> They're not going to play like that. So they're artificially like lowering their ceiling. And then are they even going to get to a point in the postseason where they get to show off all this fun stuff, which is kind of what makes the season a bit of a downer for the Clippers. But uh, yeah, I just I don't see them going small other than like the last five minutes of a game at any point. Yeah. Um, which, you know, kind of sucks because like those small lineups with Morris and Batum at the four five, like just give them so much space to work with on offense and their switching is is really quite good. Um yeah, Marcus has said that he he doesn't anticipate playing five beyond crunch time, like for most of the regular season. And but two, I mean, he led the Clippers in minutes during the regular season last year, which is just a crazy thing to think of considering who else was on the team. And he played that long playoff run and went to the Olympics. And like whether or not the Clippers think he is their best starter, there's no way they're going to do that to him just from a physical perspective, right? Like they're definitely taking more of a we have to watch this guy's minutes perspective this season when they couldn't afford to do that last year because of you know Morris's health and the fact that Batum was really the only other four quote-unquote on the roster so I, I think they're just gonna be super cautious with Batum this year which makes the versatility a little less limited because he's kind of that swing piece right like he's what, maybe like the second best passer on this team um he accomplishes so much as a switch defender like the way he was fronting Rudy Gobert in that Utah series was obviously really impressive um and then just I mean, in, in addition to be a passer, he's just like a better ball mover and player mover than like most of the other guys on the Clippers. Sure. Like he just gets into a better flow on offense. I mean, the number of times he was just beating that Dallas zone back door on the baseline was just like over and over again. Like he's just a, a really smart player. Um, and they're, they're, yeah, they're just so lucky to have him. But I, I don't see him playing like that minute load again especially if he's not starting, right? Like uh, Lou has a tendency to kind of forget about Nick when he's coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, his minutes came down quite a bit in the playoffs when he was coming off the bench. So yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a really important swing piece for them should they get deeper, you know, into the postseason. But like, I just don't see them using him to that effect during the regular season, especially if he's not starting. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us yeah i, I can see that as well and now you know morris is going to miss games and then he'll probably start in that situation but yeah i mean i think if they go small the last five minutes of each half i, I think that's as much as, as they realistically could do that but then the other thing about their playoff success that you know we'll see how much it can carry over is what reggie jackson did and mm-hmm. you know reggie jackson 142 three-point attempts he made 41 percent of them that's actually uh i believe lower than yeah he shot 43 percent from three though during the playoffs so that part of it actually wasn't that crazy now his usage went up quite a bit in the playoffs and then i thought as a driver uh, what he was able to do mm-hmm. was eye-opening you know they didn't give him that much pick and roll like a lot of it was iso particularly in that utah series when he had a matchup he, he just attacked it um and also i mean like uh, what is the phrase that the oh a uh, big government that's, big government, that's yes. his nickname right like that what what's the, the uh what's the genesis of that yeah the the bailouts yeah yeah because he would just hit these ridiculous shots late in the clock but the, i mean the thing that i loved about what he was doing in the playoffs is like i think a lot of guys should watch film of the way that reggie jackson attacks closeouts i think he does mm-hmm. a wonderful job of that because like guys will you know sort of like the way that guys either attack close is like okay uh if I'm open, I'm just going to shoot it. And if the guy is running at me too hard and he's running me off the line, then I'll drive. You know, it's sort of like one or two. Whereas Reggie, he'll sort of like hold it there, wait for the guy to think, oh, he's not going to shoot it. Like get down into his stance and then just shoot it over the guy as soon as he's like getting, dropping his butt into his stance. Because you can't really jump from that position once you're mm-hmm. like in a defensive stance. You got to kind of gather yourself a little bit. So, uh, you know, or, or he would just start his drive like before the guy even got there but his momentum was was blowing by him like he really had a great feel for that uh so anyway the the question is though now that i pontificated it on uh, a very esoteric aspect of his game how much is that is real how much can he duplicate that as a starter he's kind of earned the starting job they desperately need him to play like that Uh, again how realistic is it for him to even remotely approximate what he did in the playoffs in the regular season. So like you said, he's he's been a very good shooter since he got to the Clippers, right? Like that three-point percentage during the playoffs was not um, all that different from what he did during the regular season. The volume was higher because he got more minutes during the postseason than he did during the regular season. But that that's the type of shooter that he's been with the Clippers spacing, even including that just disastrous stretch um, in 2020 when he first joined the team. So I, I think it's reasonable to expect that level of efficiency to continue. Um, a lot of that driving to the cup, I think, was a product of the type of lineups the Clippers were playing with, right? Like that yeah. spaced out floor did wonders for him and Paul George in terms of getting to the hoop with regularity. And you saw when Zubach was playing, like PG in particular, really struggled to continue his drive game with a traditional center in the middle. Uh, Reggie, not so much because he was just more comfortable pulling up for those long twos, which... <laughs> You know, those bailout shots, they, they go in quite a bit for Reggie. Um, so I, I think it's pretty sustainable. I mean, he is, what, 30, 32, 31, 32 now. So there's potential for some age regression there. But, you know, he, I, I don't think it's going to be that bad. Like, he feels so comfortable within this offense and playing next to PG. Uh, it's just a much more natural role for him than trying to be the number one option that he was in Detroit. And I think the, the role that he has carved out for himself, like as that secondary ball handler, just makes a lot of sense for him. I mean, he, like you said, he's he's really good at attacking closeouts. I mean, he's just comfortable pretty much on every area of the court. And the Clippers sort of empower him to like take bad shots. <laughs> so he's not exactly having to 
adjust his game, you know, to like a, you know, layups and threes kind of aesthetic. He can pretty much get to wherever spot he wants on the court and it's okay. So the the only thing I would say is that like defensively, I thought he was much better during the playoffs. Like the switching really helped Reggie Jackson. Um, And in a traditional pick and roll situation, he was just not that good during the regular season. So that's sort of where I worry about Reggie Jackson having the same impact as that. Offensively, I think it's very sustainable, but I just don't think he's going to be as impactful defensively, which is going to make his, you know, his overall numbers just not look as good. So statistically, here are the big differences in the playoffs. He bumped his usage up by about 3%. Uh, not not as much as you would have thought. It's only 22% usage in the playoffs. Now, the pre and post Kawhi injury, uh, you know, the, those numbers I'm sure went up a, a lot more in terms of the usage. Uh, Three-point percentage actually went down a little bit, but he took a much larger percentage of his shots from three and, you know, up to 56% of his shots. He's in the 40s uh, in terms of percentage of his shots from three in the regular year. And then his two-point shooting went from 51 to 58%. And that was probably the biggest thing is finishing around the rim, took a few more around the rim uh, as well as floater game. Uh, was mm-hmm. pretty solid also so you know some some of that maybe is gonna drop a little bit uh you know but it wasn't like some massive change in usage you know true shooting went from 57 percent to 62 percent in the playoffs and you know he had these massive games and particularly you know that game six uh when what did he have 22 and 10 like just in the second half uh in that game six against utah and you know obviously it was the mm-hmm. number two option uh, against Phoenix when, you know, arguably they should have had a better performance in terms of games won in that series than they right. did. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think maybe halfway in between what he was in the playoffs, and in the season, <laughs> but it wasn't. I, I mean, I think maybe just, yeah, he was empowered to do more and, and it kind of came out of nowhere. But, you know, I think he is that level of shooter, you know, that I feel pretty comfortable with. And then it's just a question of how much he's able to do uh, over the course of the regular season inside the arc that, that is going to be the big differentiator for me. Right. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think some of that just has to do with like what kind of spacing they're getting. Yeah, which, you know, m- might not be amazing. We'll see if they're playing Bledsoe and Zubats all the time. Eh, that might not be amazing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll see. So um, anything else that's like really sticking out to you uh, about this team that, that we haven't talked about yet? Like just s- some things that you're really going to be focusing on th- this year? So I feel a little silly even bringing this up because I know that clutch stats are just like such a small sample size but the Clippers were just not great in clutch situations last year um and even during the playoffs like they were eight and two when the game was decided by double digits but only two and seven when it was decided by single digits uh, the the DeAndre Ayton like value game obviously stands out as a notable example of their inability to succeed in those tight situations so I think their their record last year was probably a little bit worse than it could have been just because of that inability to close out games I wonder if they've done anything to address that or they just sort of chalked it up as like one year of a bad sample size. But it's something that felt noticeable during the regular season, just that they sort of bogged down on offense in those situations. And that's that's something that I'm, I'm interested to see if they do anything to improve going forward. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. And, you know, Kawhi was considered one of the better clutch players. He didn't have a great year. In the clutch, yeah, they blew a lot of regular season games uh, as well. Paul George, you know, gets a lot of crap for his clutch performance, which was bad, and then it was good, and then he couldn't hit a free throw, and it's bad again. You know, right. So, uh, but I, I mean, it's something to consider when we're trying to project what they're going to do this year. One thing for me is these guys were basically the best percentage shooting three point team of all time last year, mm-hmm. and both just because Justice Winslow and Eric Bledsoe are now on this team, uh, and you know, the rookies obviously, if they play at all. Uh, we're probably going to see more Zubats than we did. Uh, but also, you know, Nick Batum, 40, 40%. Paul George, 41%. Kawhi was bringing up the rear at 39.8%. Jackson right. at 43%. Marcus Morris shot 47% from three. In the regular season, Mann was 42%. Kennard, 44.6%. Uh, Beverly, who's not here anymore, he was 39.7%. So uh, even John Rondo shot 43.2%. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, 42%. It was just completely insane how how well these guys are shooting. That has to come down this year, uh, both due to personnel and just some of these guys being over their heads a little bit. And also, without Kawhi, they're not going to get set up for as easy a shot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if all these guys were going to shoot the exact same from three as they did last year, you know, I'd be pretty high on this team's offense. But I just, I don't think, I think they're still going to be one of the better shooting teams of basketball. 
but I, I don't think that that's possible. I think George is going to come down to, he's going to have to take more difficult shots as well. So uh, I just, you know, maybe they shoot 39% from three as a team instead of 41 and a half percent or whatever it ended up being. Yeah. I, I think the threes, that was the next thing on my list. Actually, they had, they had six rotation players that shot at least 40%. That doesn't include Kawhi and Patrick Beverly, who, as you said, were like, what, 39.7, 39.8 plus Rondo and Boogie. Uh, and I, I just don't, un- I don't envision them creating the same level of corner threes in particular without that drive and kick game from Kawhi. Um, it's definitely gonna be their offensive philosophy, right? Like all the Clippers coaches wear these shirts that say drive, kick, swing. Um, and that's why you have downhill attackers like Bledsoe, like Justice that they brought in to collapse the paint and then create opportunities out on the three-point line. But like you said, you know, Marcus Morris, what was he, the, the second best three-point shooter in the league behind Joe Harris last season? Like that, that's a tough task to repeat. Um, and though I could see, you know, Luke and Reggie hitting those marks again, um, on the whole, I, I would imagine that that number comes down in a in a meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, they're even 84% from the free throw line last year, which I think was an NBA record. Uh, as Oh, no, sorry, the Suns actually set the NBA record of being even better than that, but 84% from the line is pretty good, though they, they never got there. Um, I don't know, what, you, uh, you referenced this list. What else you got on this list? Um, they were pretty bad at getting to the restricted area last year. Yeah. You know, they just never really took shots by the rim. Um. I would imagine they're going to try to put more pressure on the rim this year, but if that's just to generate more threes or actually take shots at the rim, like I, I still think their philosophy is to take more threes instead of trying to get shots in the restricted area. But they were 28th in the league last year. They only got 23 shots per game there. Um, that number did go up when Zubac started versus Ibaka. So I, I imagine it'll take a slight step up because he's projected to start at the beginning of the regular season. And then also just like their pace, um, not, a, not a ton of athlete athletes on this team um that kind of changes with like the rookies they brought in and with justice but and it's obviously like a media day staple of teams saying that they're going to play faster right yes uh, and tyloo said it last year and the clippers were what the 28th pace in the league last year so i i think that's something that they would like to do because they're not going to be able to generate as good of looks in the half court as they did last year because there's no Kawhi. like they were in excellent half-court offense last year it was perfectly fine for them to play at that pace because they were so hard to stop you know in the half court i think just by necessity they're going to have to play faster because it's going to be too challenging to score efficiently in the half court without leonard yeah and i mean you know as much as the coaches can say that hollinger talks about this all the time when teams have bigger guards or they have forwards who are bringing the ball up a lot you know or unless it's Giannis and Kumpo, uh generally they just play slower i mean you really Mm -hmm. teams with small fast point guards you know ish smith and tj mcconnell those teams are going to play faster than uh, a team like the clippers and maybe bledsoe can add to that a little bit and he did you know play on one of the faster paced teams in milwaukee uh, and uh, in new orleans as well so uh but yeah i mean i would guess that they will still be in the bottom half of the league in terms of their their offensive pace at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply um anything else I, I if, if you uh if you prep some some ideas i want to make sure we get to all of them here uh, um well we, we learned today that the clippers are fully vaccinated so that's a good thing um not as yeah. much potential you know loss of time there uh but yeah that that's about it i mean like like Any, i said uh, earlier yeah. you know just the the idea that this team like seems to be built for a playoff run and then does that even matter if Kawhi Leonard's not there just gives me so many questions about what direction this season could take you know if things go badly at the beginning or not um any big strengths or weaknesses for these guys we haven't talked about yet you know i i like their depth you know they have what nine quality rotation players and then you add you know winslow and a third center in there and like that's that's a decent 11 set of players um but like i mentioned earlier apparently uh not good enough for the top 100 on anybody's list uh I do wonder, like, how much they're going to be able to get out of the young guys because they, they kind of need, you know, Kennard and Mann and Winslow to, like, play meaningful minutes because of 
the necessary injury management for Morris and Batum and Ibaka and like one roster spots being used on Kawhi and three on rookies. So uh, I like the the quality of their depth, maybe not so much like the quantity of their depth if there's any sustained injury absences. Yeah. And if Paul George misses games, then I think things get pretty rough. And as is often the case on these outlooks, we spend the least amount of time talking about the best players on these teams, yeah. particularly if they're kind of established because it's just, all right, we, we know what we're getting from this guy. But uh, I mean, do, do you have anything to kind of talk about Paul George's performance last year? And like, you know, he is, this is going to be what is age 31 season. So mm-hmm. let me double check that. Yeah, he's 31. Yeah. So uh, you wouldn't expect it to be quite as good, but they're also going to be like, really relying uh, on him uh, a lot. You mentioned like his drive game is kind of really dependent on uh, the spacing. Like I think his 30% usage in the playoffs, I think it'd be certainly tough for him to up that. He's never been like a massive usage guy because he's not, you know, a great pick and roll player. Uh, They've talked about him being more of a point guard over the years, but it's tough because he doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim. He kind of, you know, he gets into the rim and then he tries to just like forearm the guy out of the way and go up for a layup. Like that's kind of his, his move, uh, which works sometimes uh, less so other times. But so, I mean, I, I think the best you could probably hope for is that he can duplicate what he did last year in the regular season. That seemed fair. Yeah. I just assume his efficiency is going to go down a little bit without Kawhi there and having to take more of a load because I mean, I think the playoffs are really good test case for this. Like either Paul George has just these phenomenal shooting games or lower than 25%, right? Like he has, more variability in his outcomes than I think more all-stars or all-NBA players of his caliber. Yeah, that makes sense because he doesn't get to the line a ton and he's very much reliant on taking difficult jump shots and a Mm -hmm. lot of those are threes. So yeah, it does make sense that he he doesn't have as much that he can rely on uh, from game to game. Maybe he'll get better uh, as a distributor uh, as well. Uh, How much do you think Ibaka is going to play? You think he's going to be like ready at any point anytime soon? I, I do actually. Um, yeah, he's doing non-contact in training camp right now, but they sound pretty positive about him being able to play like near the start of the regular season. Um, I I just assume they'll keep him like on a minutes limit, which is why Zubac is starting. But no, I I think I think Ibaka should be ready to go, and um, they they definitely missed him a lot, like with their smaller lineups last year. Uh, so the, the the plan is to have him factor into the rotation in a, a meaningful way. All right, before last question before we get into predictions here. What do you think these guys rank in offense and defense? I, I actually had a harder because I'll rank these these teams and put them into tiers, uh, all 30 teams on both offense and defense. And I had pr- some of the hardest times uh, for both the offense and defense with this team. Yeah, so I, I agree. I had a really hard time with that, too. Um, so they were the number four offense last year, and I think they were number two the year before that. Uh, I think it's going to be much closer to middle of the pack without Kawhi. Um, but because they have Ty Lue, who's so good at creating, you know, like his system is so good at creating good looks. I, I would say like in the 11, 12 area. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's underrated how good this team has been, even with all the injuries and load management and all that in the regular season, the last couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could have had a much better seed than they did last year. They right. obviously, uh, you know, they, <laughs> they chose their seed. <laughs> yes. They, they had toroed the last game, which I mean. Turned out to be a great decision, by the way, uh, I would say, because uh, they otherwise, I think they would have played uh, Phoenix in the second round. And, you know, maybe if Kawhi had been healthy for the first four games, that, that might have been different. But uh, obviously, they got to the conference finals for the first time in franchise history without Kawhi. So you think you have to say that was the right decision. Um, although you know, maybe choosing Dallas in the first round wasn't the smartest idea either. Yeah. You know, wearing uh, themselves out with those seven games might have yeah. come back to bite them. So. Uh, but but anyway, I mean, in the regular season, you know, second best net rating in the NBA. They were only 0.2 points per 100 behind Brooklyn. Or I'm sorry, behind. Wait, who am I looking at here? Sorry. No, that's wrong. They had the fourth. Yeah, you mentioned the fourth offense last year. I was looking at the, the overall standings. But yeah, so. Uh, but I mean, considering how much guys missed time, that was pretty good. I mean, they and they're a great offense the year before. Great shooting team. And then defensively, I think even more so, they were kind of underrated their ninth last year and then they're in the top five the year before um you know i think they could be around kind of in the 9 to 11 12 range defensively like that's kind of where i have them uh, i think there are going to be some pretty good defenses this year though so here, here are the other teams that i kind of have around them mm-hmm. um phoenix yeah you know i think i think they'll be better like phoenix is probably and then you know i think they'll be better than like 
Denver and Dallas and Atlanta and Indiana, uh, but maybe not as good as Memphis, Toronto, San Antonio, the Lakers. Those are the teams that I have kind of in the 8 to 11 range. But I mm-hmm. could see them getting up there. You know, I don't think they'll be worse than maybe like if uh, everyone stays healthy. I think like 13 is probably about their floor defensively this year. Yeah, I would agree. Um, there was a real like flip the switch moment for them defensively last year uh, when Ibaka was the starter. They were 22nd in defense. Mm. And then when Zubac was the starter, they bumped up to a top five defense. Uh, so I think they can expect to start off on a better foot <laughs> this year um, with Zubac anchoring them in the middle. Uh, so I'm kind of with you. I think like that, that end of top 10 area is, is a reasonable outcome for them. Like, I, I don't, I mean, do you see any reason to think that they'd be worse than last year? I mean, I guess, you know, Kawhi not playing, but I, I also think Kawhi's kind of overrated defensively in the regular season. Yeah, but he's, he's still there, right? And he's still, he is there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, just, just him being yeah. there, even if he's not doing anything, I think just puts a little fear in the, you know, eyes of the opposing team. So that's why I think they just go down a little bit because of that. Um, I think Bledsoe Beverly is, is essentially a wash defensively. Um, you know, the, the bench is, is basically the same as what it was last year. So there's, there's no reason to think they would come down that much. Um, but I, I will say the Kawhi effect probably knocks him down like at least three or four spots. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. And also maybe George isn't as good. I think he's slipped a little bit defensively these last few years in mm-hmm. LA anyway. And then obviously having the even bigger offensive load. So yeah, I mean, but you know, also playing more Zubots at center. I mean, having that big guy in there could be good. You know, they'll probably, they'll probably get more out of Ibaka this year uh, than they did last year. Um, you know, they'll get more out of Marcus Morris this year than they did last year, who really, you know, didn't figure until kind of the end of the, the regular season uh, mm-hmm. at his full level. Um, and then on offense, you know, that's another question too, right? I mean, if it, that offense that they had in the playoffs, like that was pretty good, uh, other than, you know, when it was 84 to 80, uh, in that one game. What against a the, the terrible Lions. game that was. <laughs> oh, it, it was truly atrocious. But I mean, they were kind of, by playing Zubats, that's kind of what they, they made the game into that with, I think, mm-hmm. some of their personnel decisions. But, um, so yeah, I mean, that team, I think I would feel like would be a top five offense, even without Kawhi, if they, we're just playing the exact same personnel as the playoffs last year. But again, you know, that's not possible and you know, some of them are gone. So, you know, but I, I still think they can be in the top 10 uh, offensively. What about you? Yeah, I, I think 11-12 is sort of where I landed with them on offense just because I think PG's efficiency is going to come down a little bit. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's get into our predictions here. I will go first and let me call it my sheet. So do you project all of your wins together so they like add up to the appropriate number or do you just do one by one? Uh no, I do I do not do that. Um okay. maybe I should, but I kind of I, I mean part of my reason for not doing it that way is I think because of injuries, you're going to have some teams that are just, you know, going to win like 15 games fewer than expected like, you know, be like last year's Raptors. Mm-hmm. And so if I just go like cherry picking among teams like, "Oh wait, all right, I got to make them add up, so I'm going to take one off of this team and one off of this team, one off of this team, one off of this team. Um, then you kind of end up like, that's kind of not how it works. But right? I think like a lot of teams are kind of around what you would think they would be right. Like, cause like if every team stayed healthy, yes, I realize it's zero sum, but like, if you could just say, Hey, you know that this team is going to stay healthy and then the rest of the teams are going to just be what a normal league is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like, that's kind of what I predict, you know, with like a reasonable number of injuries. Because a lot of times where you see, I think, the big loss isn't that a team wins two fewer games than you would think. It's that, oh, yeah, Kawhi Leonard goes out for the year at the start of the year and you're just you know way, way worse. Or James Harden gets traded and Houston is now the worst team in the league. So I think, I think I'm think i more accurate on more teams by not adjusting that way. That's, that's kind of my thought. I don't know. People who know more about math than me might, might have a different opinion on that. Makes sense. Okay. Well, good. I'm going to keep doing it that way then. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's see here. Let's, uh, let's get back to predictions. The Clippers over under is 44 and a half. Danny and I both went over on that. Uh, and, and I, But I thought that was a pretty good line. I think I'm going to go with 45 wins uh, for this group. Although, you know, I mean, I guess if Kawhi came back, I, I might say it would be more. We still don't really know about that. Um, I think I'll actually, I'm going to go with 46. I'm going to go with 46. Well, that's really disappointing because I also have 46 and 36 written <laughs> But, but you're saying it's disappointing to be the same of me as, as me? <laughs> there's just, there's no fun then. 
Um, yeah, and I think, you know, when these over-unders came out, I think maybe it was a little bit more pessimistic on Kawhi than I'm feeling now. So maybe that's why I would bump it up one. Um, that, that might be my reasoning there. But I think these guys are going to be solid. I think they're well-coached. They just have a lot of veterans. They've got kind of an institutional way of playing that has worked in the regular season, even when guys uh, have been out. So, uh, yeah, 46 wins for these guys uh, is my guess. Uh, and I could see them getting over 50. If everything goes right, if Kawhi comes back earlier, if you know they continue to shoot the lights out the, the way they have, um, what about you? Yeah, my best realistic case was them getting to 50-plus um, if PG maintains that level of performance that he did a year ago um, and like Kawhi is really on that partially torn timeline. Um, and then how about a worst case? Yeah, I, I didn't see them really falling anything below 500. Uh just if the shooting cools off, if Terrence Mann is what he is last year instead of any better than that, um, if Nick Batum just doesn't have the legs to do what he did a year ago, uh, they they have enough. Like like you said, their their offensive system makes enough sense to where I think they'll compete on any given night. But they they could be like a 500 team if just nothing pops. Yeah, and obviously when we say worst case, we're not saying oh Paul George misses the whole year. right, kind of right. you know just like realistic injuries. But you know he's he's missed time. He had this toe issue uh, where he missed a bunch of time last year, and you know I do I do think they're going to struggle in, in games that he misses. And you know it's uh, it's no spring chicken anymore. You know I'm not, I'm not penciling him in for 72 games. I'm penciling him in, him in maybe for like you know 65 mm-hmm. or something and it, instead because he has kind of had these issues all right well this is a, a lot of fun thanks so much for coming on uh, sabrina where can we keep up with what you're doing yeah so i cover the clippers for sb nation at clipsnation.com and i am on twitter at sabrina jam oh yeah i never got the sabrina jam part <laughs> until just now uh yep middle initial in there <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's awesome. Thanks again uh, for coming on. And uh, we'll be back uh, on Dunked On Prime very soon uh, with more of our Season Outlook series. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.